Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I remember having a conversation with somebody who was so serious. I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound terrible, but really, like, they thought they were all that in a bag of chips. You know, I mean, so pious, so serious. And as I'm listening and talking to them, I really just thought, what would be the most absurdly obscene thing that I could yell right now? And wouldn't it be fun to watch that person's reaction, right? I mean, just thought like, what phrase could I use right now? I was just entertaining myself. If you have OCD, you have that thought, right? Here I am, I'm talking to my teacher and I'm thinking, what if I yell the F word? And then right away you think, why am I having that thought? Why am I having that thought? So we want to normalize a little bit that human beings have weird intrusive thoughts all the time, that it's okay. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way, and I'll even tell you what to say. Lynn, I'm so excited I get to see you in a few weeks. I can't wait to reunite with you and with all the listeners who join us for our teens and parent retreat. I'm very much looking forward to this because I get so many questions and so many concerns and people are so worried about their teenagers right now for good reason because of what everybody has been through. And this just gives me an opportunity to really focus in on the biggest issues that parents are concerned about right now, in terms of their child's anxiety, what's this deal with social media, how do we get them off the screens, do we need to get them off the screens, how do we get them to launch for college, the things that people just lie in bed at night worrying about. Can I say now, since I am a parent of a teen, one of the most helpful things I think exposing my teen to so much of what you talk about is that there's always going to be another person in the peer group that has more mental health issues than the others. And I think it's so helpful to learn how to be a supportive friend with boundaries at an Mm -hmm. early age, protect our kids from friendships that can become toxic. We did a whole episode on this before, but I think that attending this retreat and giving teens the language and the understanding of mental health and anxiety and depression is just, these are essential skills they need when they go off into the world. A lot of the information that teens share with each other is inaccurate. And a lot of it is harmful, to be quite honest. And so helping your teens sort of sort through all this so then when they go off into the world, they can really be critical thinkers about their own mental health, about what they're dealing with in their friendships. We really want to equip them with language that is helpful because there's so much swirling around about this that's just not what kids need to know and not what they need to hear. I just want to give them the the solid stuff that's helpful, not the stuff that freaks out teens and freaks out parents. 
and people can come with their teens or they can come by themselves and enjoy more of a parent retreat and connect with other parents. Everybody's welcome. Lots of good information and lots of other people who are in the exact same situation. The thing that I can't wait to hear more about too, since I have a daughter in high school, is how can we help our kids apply for college in the absence of a very toxic achievement culture that is all around us. Mm -hmm. There's a lot for us to learn. And parents are frankly, we're all a little overwhelmed with uh, launching our kids to the next stage. It is absolutely overwhelming. And I felt the same way with both of my kids. There's a lot to talk about. So join us April 9th at the Woodstock Inn in Vermont. Our discounted room rate is available until March 6th. And a link is in the show notes to our registration. So Lynn, we're going to do another Fluster Clucks in session where you get to work directly with one of our listeners and offer a consultation. It's about a family that's struggling with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. This disorder is not uncommon and oftentimes it's misdiagnosed or missed or misunderstood. So I'm going to talk to Erica. She is the mom of three children. She has a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And it's her little 9-year-old son that has been diagnosed with OCD. And this family is trying to figure out what to do about it. So hi, everybody. I am here today with Erica. Erica, can you just tell us a little bit about you and your family and what's going on? And we'll just dive right in. I have three children, mom of three children, a 13-year-old daughter, 11-year-old son, and a nine-year-old son. Very busy family. And uh, most recently, it's my nine-year-old son who we're having some trouble with, Mm -hmm. with uh, OCD and trying to find a therapist and trying to figure out how we work all of that into our family. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for people who don't know, OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. I know that and Erica knows that, but just so we know. And so you're nine-year-old. So how long would you say that this has been apparent that this has been going on? So there were little clues when he was younger, I'd say even three years ago, when we sort of just watched it. But then in July of 2020, the symptoms grew much stronger. Since July 2020, we've really been digging in on how to help him. Okay. And is there anything that you've discovered that's been helpful? Have you figured anything out thus far? We find sometimes that if we can get him to a quiet place and get him to refocus his attention, get him to be calm, that we can sort of reshift his focus. And we also have a psychiatrist that we're working with and his pediatrician, and we uh, are trying Prozac to see if that can help us sort of break down and get through to where we can really dig in on the therapy. And and at first that really helped. And now we're really struggling and it's, it's not, it's not helping. Okay. And so he doesn't have a therapist yet. We just found him a therapist about two weeks ago, but it was a long wait list. Okay, I'll bet, because that's the times that we're in. And does this therapist specialize in OCD? Yes, thank goodness. And the reason I say that is because OCD, we know exactly how OCD works, and we know what works and what doesn't work with treatment. And if you are going to see somebody who doesn't really know about OCD, it can really muddy the waters. It can really sort of set you back. So I'm glad that you've got somebody that knows how to treat this. So can you tell us a little bit about how it shows up, what you see, what you notice? Sure thing. So it started as him not being able to be in a particular room with the door open and he would get up and close the door. 
every time that someone walked through. And and then he would just say, mom, can you close the door? Can you close the door every single time? And, and I thought to myself, well, this doesn't really feel right, but I'm going to keep closing the door mm-hmm. because that he says he's very uncomfortable if we don't. Then it started, can you leave the light on? Can you open the closet door? Can you put the closet light on? And, and it was so, taking over his mind to the point where he just wasn't satisfied. And, and he would say things like, we'll get rid of this worry. And then there's one worry right behind it. Mm-hmm. So he's very in tune to what's going on. But I felt like I was sort of just making it worse by keep shutting the door or turning the light on. So speaking with the new therapist, we're finding ways that we're going to to figure out how to get him comfortable with that uncomfortableness, which, as I understand, will help him. Yes. Okay. So what have you learned so far? So, so far, he's really just getting used to the therapist and he gets what we're calling therapy points if he tells us one of his worries. I have a worry. I'm going to tell you what it is. And he gets a point and he adds up points and gets candy or something like that. And then... As I understand it, as we go further, it'll be more like you're going to sit in the bedroom with the door open for X amount of minutes, and then we're going to, you get rewarded with points. Mm -hmm. So that's what I understand to be the first step. Okay. And are you involved in the therapy? Are you in the sessions with him? So we join, my husband and I join about the last five, 10 minutes. And he tells us sort of what they talked about, what the plan is. And sometimes my son will stay and sometimes he shoots out. Okay. With a nine-year-old, having you in for the last five to 10 minutes, in my opinion, and in other people's opinion, is not sufficient. Okay. Because you really are the key to this in a lot of ways. You and your husband are really the key to this. So it is okay for you to say to the therapist, we really need to make sure that we know exactly what we're doing and to have the plan. So five to 10 minutes with a nine-year-old, straight up, I'm just going to tell you, not enough. So just be aware of that. And when he tells you what his worry is about, when he tells you what the worry is, do you have an understanding of what the purpose of that is? So yes, I do have an understanding. It's supposed to be exposing him to the thing that is bothering him, and then we can work on preventing that. So he knows that if he tells me his worry, that a lot of times he says, I think you're going to get upset, mom, if I tell you. But if he knows that I don't get upset, that he's more comfortable with it. And maybe I'm, I think I've got that right. In the past, he'd been sort of keeping his worries to himself. He wasn't talking to you about them. Correct. So that's a great step because we really just want to shine light on this thing because it wants to be secretive. It wants to do its thing with sometimes without anybody noticing. And it also just wants to get you to work for it without really talking about it. Has there been any talk thus far about sort of externalizing his OCD and talking about it and recognizing it? Um, no, we sort of do that already as a family. Great. Like we're very open in this house about anxiety. I have other children who have things going on. So we talk very openly. Great. And he'll often say like, I'm turning on the light, but this is my OCD mom. And I say, I know, buddy. He wants to get better in his little nine-year-old self. He knows that, but he's still doing it. Right. And I can't constantly be following him around and making him not do it. Of course, but that's a great step. So for people that are listening, you should be like Erica because what she is doing is she's talking about it openly. You're giving him language to talk about it. You're calling it OCD so that he has a real understanding of what this thing is. Because a lot of times families will say, well, we don't really want to bring it up or we're not sure we want to give it a label. When it comes to OCD, 
super, super important for us to just be really matter of fact about it. The O stands for obsessive, and that's because he gets these thoughts and he has to do something. And the compulsion, that's the C, there's something he has to do in order to relieve the discomfort that he feels when the thought pops up. And the thing that is really, really helpful to say to kids and nine-year-olds, I love nine-year-olds. If you say to a nine-year-old, your brain is making up these weird rules that you have to follow. It feels like inside your brain comes up with this rule and then you have to do something. And if you don't follow the rule, then something bad will happen. That's the context you want to put it in. And the thing about OCD that's really helpful to know is that it operates the same way for everybody. Now, the content, what it is that he's doing or what the rules are, those can be all over the place. Those can be consistent that somebody does the same thing, they have the same rule. But also, I think what you're finding is he could have quite an extensive catalog of rules that he has to follow. Yes, it does seem like he's got quite a catalog. Sometimes it's shut the door. Sometimes it's, I have a worry because I swore with my brother, things mm-hmm. like that. And then he keeps saying there's one right behind it. And I don't know what to say. Like, can't ask him to tell me all of them. That would be awful for him. Yeah. What's interesting is it's great that he is getting used to talking about it and telling you about it. The thing that's very important for you to hear and for him to hear too is that the content of the worries, what the worry is about is absolutely meaningless. There is no significance to it. If he's thinking a weird thought, if he's thinking a disturbing thought, if he's got some strange fear that pops up, a lot of times parents will say like, oh my gosh, why does my kid think this way? Or what does this Mm -hmm. mean? Or what has he been exposed to? Or how did this thing come to be? All of that is meaningless. Yes. Did you go through that stage of sort of wondering why he was thinking those things? Yes. There were a few times like he had confessed that we, we were at the beach and there was a person and an bathing suit. And he said, mom, I, I'm worried. I have a worry, but I don't think that person should be wearing that bathing suit. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, why is he thinking that? Like, just play with your friends. Like what's happening? Mm-hmm. That was a little upsetting. Right. And, you know, swearing with your 11 year old brother is a little less upsetting because, you know, that seems typical. But yeah, he's got a a very wide range. Right. That's how this thing works. And so you as a mom, hear this loud and clear from me. Whatever he comes up with, with his OCD, whatever thoughts pop up, whatever ideas pop up, all of that is absolutely meaningless. And the thing about OCD where kids have intrusive thoughts and adults have intrusive thoughts is that they're generally disturbing. So we don't have an intrusive thought that's sort of like, oh, I'd like to pet my cat, or we don't have an intrusive thought that says, gosh, I prefer chocolate ice cream to strawberry. We have an intrusive thought that doesn't feel good. The whole thing about this is that the thoughts don't fit with who you are. Mm. He knows morally that he shouldn't swear with his brother because you guys have said, don't swear with your brother. He knows that he shouldn't have bad thoughts about people. He knows that he shouldn't have even violent thoughts about people. He knows When these thoughts show up, when they appear, they don't feel good to him, and that's why they frighten him. Mm. Part of what he's doing, and this is a really normal part of OCD, is that he has one of these thoughts that's disturbing that he knows he shouldn't have, and for a while, he wasn't telling you about them, but what the compulsion becomes is confessing them to you. Yes, it's a total confession. Total confession, right? 
And so what we have to be careful of is that if one of the assignments that he's been given is to tell you about all his worries, then that's actually doing the disorder. Because what you're saying to the OCD is, I'm going to participate in the confession. We have to recognize the confession as part of the disorder. Okay. So we were thinking that if mom doesn't get upset, that's the PC needs to understand that it's okay to tell me that you took an extra candy and I'm not upset. Yes. But that's actually, that's okay. That's totally solid, right? That he can tell you. But what I'd want him to say, if I were to tweak this a little bit, is that, mom, I'm wanting to tell you one of my OCD thoughts. Or mom, I'm having an OCD thought. Because the confession goes like this. So he has a thought or he does something or he thinks he might do something or he thinks he could have done something that maybe he didn't do. Maybe I told a lie. Maybe I looked at somebody else's paper. Maybe I was mean to my brother. Maybe I thought a bad thing about somebody. Mm. And then he wants to tell you this thing so that you say it's fine that you did that or you didn't do that. So the tricky thing about him telling you all of his worries is that it really is supporting this confession thing. Mm. So you're not getting upset, which is great because we're bringing it out in the open. But if he is a confessor, then you're sort of teaching him that it's good to confess. Got it. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touch screen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. 
I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option. That is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. So what we want to focus on with him is that those thoughts that he has, those thoughts that pop up are meaningless. They're meaningless. And he could even say to you, oh, mom, my OCD is really bugging me right now with some thoughts. And you can say, I'm so sorry, buddy. I know that's so hard for you. Your OCD just makes it so busy in there. Mm -hmm. So you love him and he knows that you support him. He knows that you're not going to get angry with him. But you have to be careful with putting the confession in as part of the treatment. Got it. Does it feel like he's confessing to you a lot? So he'll say, I don't feel myself. And then he'll say, I have a worry. And I'll say, do you want to, do you want to tell me? And usually he says no. And sometimes he says yes. Or he'll say, I'll tell my brother, but I'm, I don't want to tell you. Mm-hmm. He thinks I'm going to be angry. We're sort of stuck at that point. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't really have to tell you what the worry is about. Got it. He doesn't really have to. Just support him in the moment. Just support him in the moment. And if he says, I don't want to tell you because you'll be angry, you can remind him, we're dealing with your OCD and this isn't something that I'm going to get angry with you about because I love you so much. So you just keep giving him the message that you're not blaming him, that he's not doing something wrong, that he's not being naughty, and that these thoughts that he's having are really not his thoughts. They're the OCD thoughts. Yeah. I think he gets that a little bit. I think he does. He's like, this isn't, why would I say that? Or why would I? I think he does see that. Good. That's a really important step for him to make because you've heard me talk about this a lot. And I talk about it on the podcast a lot. And I do this with my clients a lot too, is that whenever we can create some separation between the disorder and the person, then we're going to make some progress because then you become an observer of it. That's the case with any type of anxiety. It's the case with trauma. It's the case with depression. It's the case certainly with OCD. 
We really want to have it separate from him. So he knows, I mean, he knows it's his brain. He knows it's his OCD, but that he doesn't have to question it or feel badly about it or worry about having OCD. He can be bummed out that he has OCD, right? but he doesn't have to think, oh, why am I thinking this thought? Kids will come and talk to me and they all have been keeping it inside. They've been having these thoughts that are just sometimes very distasteful to them, sometimes very terrifying to them, sometimes just weird. And when I say whatever it is that you think, as soon as you begin to understand and learn that this is an OCD thought, that it's not really something that you believe or something that you think or that's something that you want, as soon as you begin to understand that, it's going to make you feel a lot better about this, right? It's a bummer, but we're going to feel better about it. The other thing too, that's really important for him to hear and for you to hear too, is that we also just want to normalize that brains come up with weird thoughts all the time. And one of the things that we know about OCD is that it's sort of the reaction to the thought that makes it so powerful. So say you give that example of him being at the beach and he looked at somebody and he had the thought, she shouldn't be wearing that bathing suit or he shouldn't be wearing that bathing suit, right? That is not a really bizarre thought to have. Right. I might think that like, oh, those shoes do not work for her. Right. Or, you know what? Her hairdresser really needs to not do the bangs that way. I mean, we have thoughts like that all the time. And what OCD does is that we have this weird thought. And then we say, why am I having this thought? I shouldn't be having this thought. And it feels like, oh, the example I give all the time is you you come home from the hospital with a new baby, you know, maybe standing at the top of the stairs with your new baby and you're yelling down to somebody and you have this thought, oh my God, I could drop my baby down the stairs. Or I remember being at the Grand Canyon where if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, the walls around the Grand Canyon are shockingly low and you're standing there and you're thinking, I could just jump, right? I could just jump right now. And those thoughts are really normal thoughts for human beings to have. We think about it when we're in a high place. We think I could jump. People have thoughts like that when they're driving. And what the OCD does is says, this thought is so unbearable, it's so uncomfortable, and now I need to do a compulsion in order to get rid of that thought. And the compulsion is to continually think about it or confess it or... It can be anything, but the compulsion is to confess. Sometimes the compulsion is to think about it. So we have internal compulsions and external compulsions. The only reason we're differentiating that is that some you can see and some you can't. So an external compulsion is, I have a thought that I might be contaminated. So before I walk into the house, I have to take off all my clothes and go take a shower and then put on new clothes. So we can all see that. I have a thought that if I leave the house and I leave everything plugged in, I could be responsible for burning my house down. So before I leave the house, I have to go around and unplug everything. I had a client who did that, had to unplug everything, except the refrigerator. He wouldn't unplug the refrigerator because that would spoil his food and he was cheap. So those are external things that we can see. Checking is an external compulsion. I get into bed and I think, did I set the alarm? Yes, I know I set the alarm, but did I? Mm, Right? Mm. And then the thought is going to be there. And then you say, okay, so I'm just going to go check because then that will give me some relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then you get back into bed. And then two minutes later, you think, did I just go check the alarm? And then you think, okay, I know I just checked the alarm. OCD is a doubt factory. Mm. It brings up doubt. Did I? Did I? 
Why did you think that? Is that how you really think? It's always there to say, really? Uh-uh. Are you sure? Are you sure? And so his compulsion will be something that he would do in order to get rid of that <gasps> feeling of doubt, that feeling of discomfort. Internal compulsions tend to be things that people do in their head that are the same thing, but they're doing it. So for example, he walks into a room and he thinks, I walked into the room in the wrong way. He either go back and walk into the room in a different way. Maybe he has to walk into the room and land on his right foot or his left foot, right? None of this makes sense. It's not logical. And then he thinks, oh, I walked into the room the wrong way. But now if I say the alphabet, then that will keep me safe. Yes, he has, his number is eight. He has to do a thing eight times. And he told us about that. And sometimes I'll say, stop rocking in the chair. And he'll say, I have to get to eight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so I let this child rock in this chair five more times, right? It's, it's tricky. It is really tricky. So what the goal is of the therapy, what the goal is, is for him to start changing up those compulsions. We don't really want to go after the obsessions. We don't really want to go after the thoughts because you can't really get rid of them. Mm. If the goal is I'm going to get rid of the way I think, I can't think that. That doesn't work for any of us. If I say to you, don't think about your toe, right? Whoop, there it is. So we don't go after the obsessions. We go after the response to the obsessions. So we want to interrupt the compulsion. That's called exposure and response prevention. So the goal is that when you have an obsessive thought, then you want to interrupt the compulsion. It is easier as a parent to help interrupt the external compulsions that you can see. Say you make it a goal for him. If I get caught in this number eight thing, I'm going to do it five times. I'm going to do it three times. I'm going to do it not at all. I'm going to do it 12 times. And you mix up the compulsion. It's harder if he's doing something in his head. Right. And this is the internal one. He's having these thoughts. He's having this thought he doesn't want to have. And then his confession to you, that's his compulsion, his external compulsion. And then how you respond to the confession, that's how you begin to break up the pattern. OCD has a pattern. It's the same pattern for everybody. Obsessive thought, uncomfortable, do a compulsion, feel relief. We want to interrupt that pattern. The thing that you do not have to be hard on yourself about is that he's going to do this even with your best efforts. Even if you were an Olympic gold medal compulsion interrupting parent, if you competed mm -hmm. in the compulsion interrupting parent contest and you were fabulous at it, he's still going to be able to do it. He's still going to be able to work around you. Right. Right. So the first step is for you not to participate. The first step is for you to be out of that pattern. The second step is for you to tolerate his distress when you don't participate, mm -hmm. right? And that's hard. That's hard as a parent. You're going to give him a lot of love, a lot of support, a lot of empathy. And then the third step is for him to take responsibility for it and to interrupt his own compulsions, right? So that's the course of treatment so that he really recognizes, oh, this is my obsession. This is an intrusive thought. I'm not going to engage in the compulsion, and that's going to feel really hard for me. And the compulsion can, can be confession. It could be shutting the door. It could yep. be doing something eight times. It doesn't matter which one it is, but we have to train him to figure out where to, how to stop it. Exactly. And that's what therapy is about. When he stops it, when he doesn't do it, 
that doesn't feel good in the moment. Oh, yeah. He, he's told us, yes, it feels terrible. He's even named it Bob. The OCD monster is Bob. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're going to work to get rid of it. And then he told me, I wish I never told you about Bob because mm. it's really hard to try to get rid of him. And I told him that that's the good work. And I hope that was the right thing to say. Like, we're going to get rid of him. Well, okay. So let's back up. You're not going to get rid of him. Fair. And whenever we use any elimination strategies, whenever the goal is to get rid of something, it's going to backfire because then you feel like a failure. Sure. So if he says to himself, my job is to get rid of Bob, and then Bob keeps showing up, oh, right? He's like, this is impossible. I can't do this. I'll never figure this out. But if you say our job is to respond and react differently to Bob and to make Bob less powerful. Okay. Take his power away. Take his power away. Because the power that Bob has, for anybody who has OCD, the power that Bob has is to convince you that it's real. Because there are some people who have OCD that say, I know these thoughts are totally illogical. I know that they're totally nuts, but I still feel better when I compulse. Mm. The goal is to step back and not do what Bob wants you to do. Got it. Now, the way that works is that over time, the thoughts become far less powerful. Sure. The analogy or the metaphor that you could use with him is that say you had this person who every morning at 6.15 would come and just ring your doorbell. And you were like, oh, why is he ringing the doorbell? What important thing does he have to tell us? And you would get up and you'd open the door and the person would say, hi, just wanted you to get out of bed and open the door. Oh, you go upstairs. And then the next day he rings the doorbell at 6.15 and then he rings it at 6.20. And you get up at 6.15 and then you get up at 6.20. And he's like, ha ha, look, I made you get up twice. And then the next day he rings the bell at 6.15 and 6.20 and 6.25. And then you start saying, why is this person ringing the doorbell? It makes no sense. Okay, so that's doing the OCD. You keep getting up and opening the door and the person says, hi, got you to open the door. What we want to do is he rings the doorbell at 6.15 and you go, okay, there's our morning doorbell ring. And you don't do anything about it. Now, Can we guarantee that the person is going to stop ringing the doorbell? Not necessarily. We can predict that he probably won't ring it over and over and over again. Mm. It's about taking away the power of the thoughts and really recognizing the content doesn't matter at all. The content never matters. And that the goal is not to get rid of Bob, but to treat Bob like the annoyance that he is. Got it. And distraction, distraction is not really going to work when you say, well, let's distract you. Because if you have distraction as the goal of getting rid of the thoughts, then again, it becomes, oh, I can't think that. I can't think that. What you want to do is say, when Bob shows up, you can say, oh, hello, Bob. Nice to see you. I'm going to just keep living my life. I'm just going to go on with my life. And so it shows up. The doorbell rings at 6.15, but it doesn't disrupt. It doesn't take over. It doesn't define. Sure. That's what we want to work on. Just out of curiosity, does anybody else in your family have OCD? No. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's new to us. Okay. No grandparents or siblings or anything like that? No. Siblings have something else. <laughs> <laughs> They're ADHD kids, which we feel like we have in the bag now, and now we've got... Now we've got OCD. So it's a different, it's a different beast. Okay. And none of your siblings or anybody up the family tree? No, no. Okay. So that's unusual. It's probably there somewhere. It just hasn't been identified. 
perhaps. Lots of times when people say, well, no, nobody in my family has OCD. My dad, you know, was a workaholic and we had to do things perfectly and blah, blah, blah. But he didn't have OCD. And you're like, yeah. So it's probably swimming around. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's unusual for it not to be swimming around somewhere in the gene pool because it does have a pretty strong genetic push to it. Hmm. Okay. Here's the good news. You guys are on top of this. He's nine years old. It's not unusual for it to show up at around six or seven. There's some research that used to say that if early onset OCD is more intractable, it's more difficult to treat. But there is more current research that says that that's just not the case. And that if you really get on top of this and teach him the skills, that he can really do pretty well with it. Medication certainly can help. I think that what you found is that you had a really hard time finding a therapist. And so you did the medication first because you didn't have any other options. And it was COVID and finding therapists is really That's hard right. right now. And I know what part of the country you live in and finding therapists in that part of the country is really hard right now. But just in general for people as they're listening to this, medication alone with anything but with OCD, the medication can help like you experienced at the onset. The medication can help to really bring down the symptoms, but without the skill building, without the exposure and response prevention, without him developing some understanding of it, it's just not going to be enough. And you know that and you're working on it. So it's awesome. Right. Right. You know, when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you, well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique. It's personal and it lasts forever. I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether you're song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com Fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. How do your other kids understand this or respond to this? So they're actually pretty good. They're really tolerant. We sort of talk about it as, you know, this Bob thing is here. And sometimes, uh, you know, my son will say, my, my bad thought was I was mad at mom because she made me play, stop playing video games. And my daughter will say, well, I get mad like that too. And, you know, she tries to relate to him and, and make him feel like he's not crazy for thinking that. And I thought that was really kind. Mm-hmm, that is kind. He'll say to his brother, can you shut the door? And my other son will go and shut the door for him. He, he thinks he's helping and they rarely get frustrated with him. Very rarely, which mm-hmm. I'm really happy about. Yes. So what you want to work on with them is that they do not need to accommodate his OCD. Mm -hmm. One of the things you want to pay attention to is any way that you as parents or that his siblings or even other family members, if you hang around with grandparents or whatever, any way that anybody is accommodating the OCD. Mm -hmm. What we know is that family accommodation is one of the predictors of treatment failure. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the more that you accommodate it, the stronger it gets. And kids are really good at getting siblings or friends sometimes or whatever to do their bidding for them. That's okay. That's a normal thing. You want to give your kids permission. You know, you said you're great about it. You talk about it. You're open about it to let them know that it feels like they're helping their brother by shutting the door, but they're really helping Bob. Sure. And so every time I don't do it. I'm saying, I'm not going to shut that door. We don't need, you know, and he'll just get up and do it himself. I don't know what, do I go reopen it? Do I, what do I do in that moment? It's difficult. Yeah. The first thing you're doing is absolutely correct. And just say to him, you know, my job is not to make Bob stronger. Mm. My job is to help you get stronger, not to make Bob stronger. I'm not going to follow Bob's rules. Got it. No, that's good. And then you can suggest to him, you can say, You can practice right now also not following Bob's rules. And if you want to come and sit next to me and if you need me to give you a hug, you can handle this. Bob is going to make you feel really uncomfortable. But remember, Bob's rules aren't real. Mm -hmm. And then if he says like, no, I'm going to go shut the door and he goes and shuts the door, that's okay. He's at the beginning of this, right? You're not going to get in a power struggle with him, but don't participate in it. What happens with families who do this unknowingly, right? You do it because it feels like the right thing to do, is the whole family. Bob is in charge of the whole family. So there's all sorts of rituals and compulsions that everybody has to do. And the reason you do it is because you don't want your child to get upset or because you got to get through the day and it's just easier to do it. You want to pay attention to any accommodation that you're doing and you want to pull that back. 
Got it. It's so counterintuitive. It's incredibly counterintuitive. (laughs) But if you think about Bob as a bully that's, you know, running your child's life and running your life, then it makes perfect sense because you don't do what the bully wants and think that the bully is going to get weaker. When you do what the bully wants, the bully feels emboldened. The bully says like, okay, this is how this goes. When your son interrupts the compulsions and when you don't participate in the compulsions, it's really okay for him to feel distress about that. Yeah. Right. And that's what's really hard as a parent is that you see him struggling. But short term listening to Bob makes it worse. You got a long term plan here. And this is about him being able to differentiate between what he needs to pay attention to and what he needs to not pay attention to. And you can make it a game. If I were going to give him therapy points, Honestly, I wouldn't give him therapy points for telling you what his worries are because I feel like that's a little, you're sort of confessing. I would give him therapy points for not doing a compulsion. Yes, that was on the plan. That's part of the plan. And you get points for just saying, what does OCD mean to you? Like he was, I think the therapist was trying to get us to all make sure we're talking about it. Great. Yeah. So those things make sense. And, you know, that feels good. Yeah, good. This is a long-term project. But again, at nine, with his ability to learn these things, for him to feel more confident, and by confident, I mean that he knows what this thing is and he can use the language and it's not an emergency. We want to downgrade the OCD from emergency to annoyance, right? That everybody's like, oh, Bob, please. Because the way that OCD gets so powerful is that it treats things like an emergency. He has to do this or else. Yeah. You see that right on his face. Of course, of course. And it, it's so hard. You can see it on his face. You can see when he's, not, when he's not able to complete the cycle, that makes him feel really uncomfortable. I had a kid tell me that when he doesn't engage in the compulsions, that he feels this burst of anxiety, this burst of discomfort. But then when he stays with it and he doesn't do it, then he says, I feel awesome. That's awesome. You can even draw a picture for him, give him a visual. Bob shows up and gives him a demand, gives him a a thought, and he wants to compulse. And you can draw a bell curve, right? So it increases and increases. And he's going to hang out at the top there a little bit. He knows it's Bob. He's going to remind himself that's just Bob. And when he doesn't compulse, then his discomfort starts to go away. Mm-hmm. If you do what the OCD wants, he feels the obsessive thought, he hears the obsessive thought, it feels uncomfortable, he does the compulsion, his discomfort will drop precipitously, it'll drop right away, but then we're going to get it right back again. Nine-year-olds get this. We sometimes underestimate the ability of a nine-year-old to really be able to understand this and talk about this. I mean, I've done it with six-year-olds, I've done it with five-year-olds. How do his teachers deal with it? How does it go at school? Doesn't show up at school at all. Mm -hmm. They were completely shocked that, you know, but he'll, he'll be waiting for the bus and say, I just don't feel myself, mom. I just don't feel myself. And I just hug him or, you know, we find what we do, like a little thing that helps us relax together. And he gets to school and they say he's totally fine. Totally fine. So he tells me he's distracted at school. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. And then he gets home and it kind of starts. Does he have to tell you about things that happened at school? Nope. Okay. So he's not coming home and confessing. Nope. He's not coming home and saying, I thought this, I did this. Nothing. Okay, good. So he's got a little relief. That's nice that he's at school. He feels a little relieved. Yeah. So he says Bob doesn't even go to school with him. 
Pretty much. He's never mentioned, never mentioned it. If he's at swimming, it, he doesn't mention it. When he's distracted, he's fine. But like the second the movie ends, if we're watching a movie, it kind of starts. And in that moment, it just feels like I can't, what do, I don't know how to keep a child distracted this whole time. They're, we have to really figure out how to break this. Yeah. Well, distraction isn't the, the answer. Right. No, I completely get that. The other thing too, to know about OCD, and this is an interesting thing, is that for adults, oftentimes, it'll sh- have its way in one place, but not in another. For example, there might be somebody who in their house has all these rituals that they have to do, all these things that they have to do. But then when they go on vacation, they don't have to do any of those rituals. Sometimes they have to do it at work, but they don't have to do it when they're engaged in some other activity. The really important thing to remember about OCD is that it's very predictable in what it does, but it's very irrational and illogical sometimes in where it shows up and what it comes up with. Trying to ascribe any meaning to this thing, trying to understand this thing and figure it out. Anytime you are asking, why is he thinking that? The only answer is because of Bob. Right. At the beginning, I definitely did. Like, why is he thinking this? What's the matter? And then I very quickly realized, oh, these are just random. Yeah. Completely random and meaningless. They can be triggered by things. It might be something that he saw. What often happens as kids learn about things developmentally, then the OCD grabs onto them. He's nine now, but if he hears about drug use, if he hears about suicide, if he hears about sex, if he hears about... Oh, yes. It's definitely when he hears about something. Okay. His, maybe his brother told him something. He, he will stick on it. Or we had a pet die, and then we're, gonna, we're stuck on a pet's death for a month. Yeah, it's like a trigger. It feels like it just starts it again. Yes. So it's anything new that feels uncomfortable. The OCD just, just hangs out and waits to see what it can grab onto. Right. That's the way this thing works. You are absolutely on the right track. Phew. Yep. You're absolutely <laughs> on the right track. You're going to get sucked into it. Don't worry about that. There's no doing this perfectly for sure. Your main goal is as quickly as possible and as consistently as possible, but you're going to be inconsistent at times. You want to stop accommodating. Okay. We can do that. I think it's just going to add a little time to the morning and evening routines, but we, I, we definitely can do it. Yeah. And do you feel like you and your husband work well with this? You're on the same yeah. page. Fabulous. Yes. We're on the same page. Sometimes he's a couple of pages behind and has to catch up a little bit. Like, you know, if I sat with the therapist that day and it takes him a little while to understand, okay, therapy points, what are we doing? You know, remind me. But we're, we see the struggle on his face and we really want to get, you know, get this thing to be less powerful, as you said. Good, good. Be involved in it. Ask questions. Don't be shy about asking the therapist and asking for direction. And don't think that this thing has to move slowly. So one of the things that sometimes I hear from people and sometimes, you know, the therapists I train will say this and say, well, we really want to move slowly. You don't have to. There's no mystery about this thing. And your little guy is going to feel better when he feels like he's moving, he's doing things, that this is an active process, that everybody's on the same page, he's getting a lot of support, fabulous. You guys are on top of it. You're doing what you need to do. It's just a tricky little sneaky thing, this Bob. It really is. It really is. Yeah. But your support and your encouragement and your consistency are going to mean a ton to him as he moves forward. 
I didn't quite think of it as like, just stop it altogether. We're not shutting the store anymore. I thought of it as do it a little bit and then try again tomorrow and then try a little more the next day. And now I, what you're saying, I see that that's, that's just going to keep feeding it. Again, you do it with love. You say, you know what? I know Bob is so powerful, buddy. Come on over here. Let me give you a big hug. I'm so proud of you. I've got the assignment. All right. You've got the assignment. <laughs> Well, and I've heard you say often, whenever you need to find a therapist for your family regarding OCD, that you have to find someone who really specializes in OCD. But that might not always be possible. I mean, how realistic is that? And what types of resources are out there? That's a reality. And you heard when I was talking to Erica that they were on a wait list for a really long time trying to find somebody to help their little boy. The reason it's so important to find somebody who knows OCD in and out, because there are certain traps that you can go down. There are certain things that a therapist could unknowingly do that could really make this problem worse. So you want to have somebody who understands OCD, who knows how this thing operates and is really conversant, particularly with children, of the importance of having a family approach. So is it realistic at this point that we can find people? I mean, that's the struggle right now is finding people who are skilled in this. There is a really good resource, the International OCD Foundation, otherwise known as the IOCDF.org. They have resources. They have a listing state by state of providers who are trained, who are skilled in dealing with OCD. You just don't want to mess around with this thing because we know how it operates. We know what it does. And if you go to somebody who doesn't, you're going to end up oftentimes going in the wrong direction. And so if you were working with a therapist before you realized OCD was on the table and you said that it could make things worse, it's not like those patterns can't be undone. Everything's fixable. It just might take more effort to really turn things around? Is it going to make things worse? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> Does it mean that it's not fixable? No. Say you had somebody, I, I mean, look, this happens to me all the time. Somebody comes to me and they've been getting this treatment and help for their child with OCD. They haven't been going to somebody who knows about OCD or the school's been trying to help it and the school has no idea they're even dealing with OCD. Does it make it a permanent problem or does it make it irrevocably bad? No, no, no. It just means now there's a bigger hole that I have to help the family dig out of. Is it resolvable? Certainly. Sorry, just like your face and the defeat. <laughs> so join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.